Last time on Improv Tabletop, our new trio of heroes, a mother and daughter in desperate need of wealth to bring their estate back to its former glory, and the heir of a wealthy estate who needs to find somebody to help keep his family in glory so his family doesn't die out, they all gather together at a big old ball at the Fuzz William Estate. And we followed these three individuals going about their business. Uh, the mother and daughter, Janice and Miss Cadence, they arrived way, way too early for this party and they hung around a little bit. Miss Cadence got hit on by Animal the drummer for Dr. Teeth and the steam-powered mayhem while Janice spoke with Dr. Teeth about the days they used to spend and her squandered youth, the opportunities that she lost because of the birth of her daughter. Meanwhile, Colonel Fuzz William was uh, helping to prepare for this ball and also had some of his own personal things that he was doing off in the corner. Lots of fabric, lots of animals. What's going to happen with that? I don't know, but we're going to find out maybe. Uh, also, he uh, ran into his old friend Gonzo from college. Gonzo and his wife, Camilla the Chicken, who he never really got along with. And he was helping out his mother when she reminded him of Miss Piggy, a woman from his past who he had fallen deeply for, but never had a chance to say hello to. Oh, oh, the drama. Oh, the sadness. Anyway, the party began. There was fondue all over the place, chocolate cheese and watermelon fondue. And as the band played, there was dancing and merriment. Rizzo the Rat was dancing with Miss Cadence. Janice had a lovely conversation with Hugh Grant over in the corner. <laughs> and we ended right as Kermit the Frog, Colonel Fuzz Williams' old friend was from college, was announced to be entering into the ballroom along with his betrothed Miss Piggy, the woman that Colonel Fuzz William had never had a chance to get to know back in the day. What's going to happen now that this big old bomb has dropped on the dance floor? Let's find out here in the world of Pride and Prejudice and Puppets. What's shaking, everybody? You're listening to Improv Tabletop, the Fate RPG actual play where we make up everything on the spot. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and today I'm joined by... Caleb Anderton. Heather. And Thomas. I'm just going to say, I think the last episode we released is one of my favorite that we've ever recorded. <laughs> it turned out so great. Makes me so happy. And just one little thing that I want to mention right off the bat here, this is going to be the last episode that releases before Christmas, so I know it's not the plug section yet, but everybody, go out and watch Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. Do it. <laughs> I watched it last night with all the kids, and they were all just enjoying it, having a good time. Dad over here just bawling his eyes out so that happened uh, happens every year well let's get back into the action i know that everybody is just absolutely dying to see what happens with colonel fuzz william and kermit and miss piggy so instead of going to that we're going to uh, touch base with janice real quick actually so this big hush has fallen over the ballroom as you see this interaction happening at the entrance. Your host, Colonel Fuzz William, uh, just kind of slack-jawed in front of this woman. And it makes you think of the follies of your own youth back in the day when you were young. And well, I want to kind of, like, we already had a chance to dig into Colonel Fuzz William's past. I want to learn a little bit more about what happened with Janice. And I think perhaps a good place to start might be, how did you meet the late Mr. Cadence, the father of your daughter? Yes. So Janice and her wild youth, she was a singer with Dr. Teeth and his band and really, really loved that life. Never really thought that she would be the type of girl to settle down, but she met a beautiful hunk of a brontosaurus man <laughs> and decided that, you know, getting married, you know, that didn't have to stop her singing career. She could take him with them on tour and still have that life and just have a beautiful dinosaur of a husband with her. A permanent groupie, so to speak, huh? Yes, exactly. Not a problem. Yeah, so they, they met. They met. He came to a concert, actually, and uh, he was smitten she always did like tall men, so there was that. <laughs> the tallest man she's ever seen in her life. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so that's how they met, and that was fine and worked out for several years as her fame was rising. And then on what was supposed to be the biggest night, it was the biggest cotillion ever thrown by anybody, and she was going to be there singing, and it was just going to permanently place her in the pantheon of cotillion singers because that's a thing and then 
her daughter was born, and that changed everything for her. She she was never quite the same. And what Janice did not see that night when she wasn't able to show up for the performance is Floyd Pepper, the bassist for the steam-powered mayhem, <laughs> shaking his head, telling Dr. Teeth that, you know, Rupert, he was going to tear the band apart, this long-necked brontosaurus man. And Dr. Teeth just defending Janice to the end, saying, love is more important than the music, right before they got booed off the stage for not having a singer. Um, <laughs> kind of an important uh, piece of the ensemble in certain bands. So. Yeah, they tried to have animals step in at the last minute, and that didn't work out very well for them. And as far as, because, you know, it's a big mystery, I'm thinking that... Uh, poor Rupert Cadence. He was there for Miss Cadence's young life, and then unfortunately just a few years prior to the events now, he died of consumption, mm. which is tuberculosis, if you don't know. It's very organ trail death. There. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dysentery. And Janice, this day, I'm sure was immensely life-changing for you. What did Janice's life look like after that point? You know, there's been years between that day and now your daughter being of a an eligible age to be seeking out a husband at one of these cotillions. Over these many years, how has Janice changed after the death of Rupert? Oh, man. I mean, it's just hard to work with a deadline, you know? If Missy doesn't get married by her 21st birthday man, then Rupert's cousin, Roger, comes in and takes everything. We don't even have our house anymore. I'm pretty sure he even takes, like, most of the clothes that I wear. It's just, we're gonna have nothing. So, yeah, it's hard to work with the deadline. That's just made her bitter and resentful and just sad and confused. She's kind of lost the spark that she used to have in life. Lost her voice, as it were. That's right. And you reflect on all of this as you see this drama happening across the way, the pains of young love, and you remember so piquantly the emotions that you had in those similar situations, even though they were so long ago. And on kind of the other side of the room, uh, perhaps hiding in a dark corner between a couple pillars where one of the lights has gone out, Miss Cadence, you also see this big hubbub happening, and you, I'm sure, have had a pretty dour childhood, I would imagine, would you say? Yes, I would. Yeah, I, I loved my father because we could see things the same way. <laughs> and saw eye to eye. Exactly. We saw eye to eye, and my mother never really saw it that way. And I always felt that I just had a lot to prove to her because my timing skills were so not on par with what she needed. And so it was pretty dire. And you have grown up with this massive weight on your shoulders, this expectation hanging over your head that if you're not able to bring in a husband to help maintain the family estate, then you're going to lose it. You, I'm sure, are also very aware of the difficulty of working on a deadline. So in this youth full of pressure, what does Miss Cadence do to try and escape from it all every once in a while, to just invite a little spark of joy into her life? Oh, well, that is easy. I love my books. <laughs> And I love to go where this beautiful grove of tall, tall trees is. And these ones are actually thick, so I can just kind of hide. I mean, if it's dark enough, they look purple-ish. And so I can just like hide in them and get really tall and just... My mother can't find me for hours, <laughs> and it's, it's pretty nice. I mean, I just kind of sing with the birds up there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just immersed in your books, the great stories of your time. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you think is, like, your favorite genre of books to read? Oh, my goodness. That's such a good question. I love the books where it's all about true crime. Oh, true crime. That, true that, that would definitely be one of my top favorites. I like these these newer things called um, biographies. Mm. It's about 
lonely people talking about themselves, <laughs> even though they're surrounded by lots of people. Those people don't realize that they'd rather be alone. So autobiographies. Yeah. And I really connect with it. Oh my gosh. And I just, every time I'm like, wow, your mother had hard expectations for you too. <laughs> I really relate. Mm-hmm. And as you are kind of sitting here in this corner, you eventually hear something. Well, I guess, yeah, I get, this is an RPG. We need to roll dice in this game. Make a yeah. careful check to see if you notice something. Oh, <laughs> not great. I got a two. A two. All right, that's still a decent roll. You are sitting here kind of in this alcove, this this monstrous alcove, as it were. <laughs> and as you are kind of coming back to the moment after you've been marinating in your thoughts for a moment, you hear a very kind of strained breathing coming from deeper in the alcove. You peer in that direction and you see, uh, are you familiar with Scooter the Muppet? Yes. I am. Yes. Little short bookish guy, big old glasses, very kind of uh, timid, not very like outspoken. Uh, he is plastered up against the alcove, like <laughs> pushing himself as tight as he can up against the wall, trying not to be noticed. Oh dear. I am so sorry. I, I sometimes don't notice when I squish others. I really hope that you're okay. Oh. Is that breathing because I was squishing you? Uh, no, it's it's all right. I'm just I'm just trying to be unobtrusive here. Uh, there's there's a lot of people out there on the uh, on the dance floor, and I just need to get away for a little moment and try and uh, have a moment of peace and quiet. I uh, my mother wouldn't be very approving, but I brought one of my books with me to <gasps> to read. No way. What book? Oh, uh, well, it's it's about, um, you know, there's a lot of terrible things happening over in America these days. So I know it's not the most necessarily the most highbrow thing, but I just find myself so fascinated with the, the goings on of some of the, the big wigs over there. I'm reading a book. Uh, it's a, a biography about <gasps> George Washington. What? George Washington? No way. That is one of my top reads. I feel that his relationship with Martha was one of the most real things I have ever read. Did you read page 632 where he had that realization about what it meant to have the weight of the country on his shoulders? Oh, that was a wonderful one. I'm I'm really looking forward to getting through this uh, book that is 1,776 pages long. I know, um, you're even including the index. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 if the writer put it in the book, it must be pretty important, you know? I don't wanna... Telling my mother for years, and she says the only important page is the last one where it says the end, because that's all she feels her life is, and that's what she can relate to. Oh, that is, oh, that's poignant. Um, uh, at this point, as you're having this conversation, you hear a pattering of feet moving in your direction, and you see uh, Dame Maggie Smith, one of the human people here. She comes rushing over and she says, Scooter, this is where you've been hiding. And he looks up and says, uh, yes, m uh, mother, I'm, I'm terribly sorry to have left your sight for a couple moments. And she says, you should be. Come now, we have to find an eligible bachelorette for you. And she just grabs him by the arm and starts dragging him away. And there's like this slow motion moment where it goes into like black and white. As he's rushing away, his face is like distorted from the force of being pulled <laughs> off. Like his cheeks squishing off to the other side as he just like stares bug-eyed at you and reaches out with his hand for a moment before he's whisked out of your view. Miss Cadence is like in awe. She's not sure whether to go or stay as she watches this and she just whispers, Maggie, I love your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> and she comes out of her little hiding spot and like slowly tries to like smell the air and figure out where they went to so she can go <laughs> ask some of these questions that she has been Smell dying. the air? 
It's Maggie Smith. She's bound to have the best scent ever. Brontosaurus is hunted by scent. Mm-hmm. So this bookish this bookish character suddenly goes, all right, time to be a ranger in survival mode here. My, my potential bow. Yeah, go ahead and roll with Clever to see if you can figure out where they went. That's a two. Yeah, that's a decent roll. You you watch, and you've got you know a, a pretty high view above everybody else's head, so it's not too hard to see what's going on. Uh, and you see, well, the problem is though that Scooter is terribly short. Um, definitely one of the shorter of the Muppets, if I recall correctly. But it's not too hard to pick out the graceful figure of Dame Maggie Smith as she is expertly weaving her way through the crowd. She's just like dragging Scooter along behind her. Every so often, he'll like pop up above the crowd and he'll be looking around uh, as if he himself is looking for something as well. And as you have caught a glimpse of them, you hear a voice from, there's kind of like this balcony seat up above you, this voice that goes, hey, uh, what you looking for there? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Who, me? And she turns and her head is like right at that balcony level. Who, me? I... I just am looking for that mother over there that whisked away. Um, I, I I don't know that I catch his name, but the book guy. <laughs> oh, you didn't even get his name? How are you gonna get his affection? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, I suddenly feel that I don't need to respond to you. So good day, <laughs> sir. <laughs> It's all right. They respond to the audience most most of the time anyway. Yeah, Statler and Waldorf look at each other and they're just like, that was icy. What the heck? <laughs> and, uh, as you go off uh, in search of your lost love and his delightful mother, we'll go back to Colonel Fuzz William where we left him at the beginning stewing in all of his hot fur <laughs> at this encounter that he's having here. Yeah. And where we left off was Kermit had just turned to you and said, you remember Miss Piggy, do you not? Uh, and slack-jawed and just uh, caught in the middle of a word, essentially. He'll take a good five seconds and just make the sound. <laughs> before he looks at both of them quite animatedly and just like um, the panic and chaos that happens in a moment like this where he starts kind of flailing and he'll go, Oh, it's great seeing you. Come on to the dance floor. I got to go upstairs for no reason. Okay, bye. (laughs) And uh, just run up and away from everybody. And as you run away, Kermit turns to Miss Piggy and says, Oh, he's uh, he's always been a little bit excitable. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but he was there the night that we met. And she's like, Oh, I didn't recognize him without his his Groucho Marx disguise that he was wearing that night. <laughs> and Kermit says, yes, he's always been quite a, a jokester. And Miss Piggy, as she kind of looks off in the direction you just left and says, Oh, well, I wish he'd hung around a little bit longer. I actually thought his jokes were pretty good. <laughs> uh, but you have left at this point. Yep. Where are you heading off to? I'm heading up to my room. And as, uh, as I run my room and I slam it closed, throwing my whole body into the movement. (laughs) And I quickly turn and my uh, back is to the room as I just pant. (sighs) As I slide down a little bit and go, (sighs) and um, I undo my, uh, what is it, cravat uh, (laughs) across my neck and it's a little bit too stuffy. (sighs) It's a bit it's a bit too stuffy down there. <laughs> um, and I look around my room, which is most Victorian houses or old uh, historical homes uh, for the rich and the noble have pretty bare walls, right? Or like some tasteful paintings here and there. Mine is completely covered with just like paper. <laughs> paper of like ideas that I have, letters that I've received, letters I've sent myself and then received to keep up appearances that people write me on a regular basis, posters, circus acts, uh, full-blown costumes just pinned to the wall to where it is so congested in here. And I have at least 10 trunks just scattered about, some of them open, most of them closed. And I run quickly run over to one and I go, okay, let's open this one. 
as I throw both my hands and the trunk goes and I just start throwing stuff into the air, just nonsensical stuff, right? So uh, I've got a full own like uh, suit that I throw out of there. I throw a water fountain out of there. I throw um, uh, an anvil at one point until I get a kerchief or a handkerchief. And as I pick it up, it's bright pink like the brightest pink that you can, almost a neon with a little inscription on it, MP for Miss Piggy on it. I just sort of like look at it and I hold it and go, a lot has changed since that night. And I just sort of like go off to my window as I turn dramatically and slowly out the window as I see a few chickens flying into the distance. And I just... (laughs) You also see down in your yard is part of the entertainment that you hired for the night. Uh, You see Lou Zealand is down there. He's juggling his fish (laughs) and one of them flies up and hits one of the chickens as it's flying past. (laughs) I wish that the audience could see Thomas's physical comedy that he is doing this entire time. Like, remember we said he acted like a Muppet very well, like just him slumping down the door and throwing open the trunk with his whole body. Like, this is so good and you guys are missing it. You just have to use your imagination. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, and I just stare out the window for quite a while. And after a moment of staring, you hear very agitated footsteps outside in the hallway and your door slams open and you can just tell, you don't even have to turn around to look, you know who it is. And you hear your mother's voice say, Colonel Fuzz William, I am having thoughts. <laughs> I'm having some thoughts too, Mama. She comes bustling into your room and she's like kicking aside trunks trying to get to you. Cause like you, you're familiar with the labyrinth that you've built up inside your room. You know how to navigate it easily, but she's just like picking stuff and tossing it. Just been like, what on earth is this garbage? And just like tossing it all aside. She comes up next to you and she grabs you by the collar and yoinks you away from the window and spins you around to face her. And she says, I told you, I told you that if Miss Piggy were to show up at this ball, I would seize. I am seething right now. (laughs) The worst thing a mother could do at a ball. Seethe. And you go, well, Mama, I had no control over them showing up with Miss Piggy. You, you gotta believe me. You gotta believe me. Oh, I believe you, but that is not the problem right now. The problem is, what are you going to do about it? Uh, I was uh, thinking I'd put on a good final act for the company downstairs. Ha, 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 ha. Understanding that mother is watching being one of my consequences still. <laughs> yes. Well, perhaps it's time for you to go and do the performance of your life, young lad. And she grabs you and just starts kind of goose-stepping you back towards the door. I am absolutely having the vapors right now. I need to go take a break. I will leave you to take care of this. I am going to go to uh, the the mother's suite, the adjoining mother's suite, and I'm inviting all of my mother friends with me. Uh, She gets into the ballroom. She grabs Maggie Smith by the arm as she's rushing past. Janice, she reaches down and grabs you by the arm as she's rushing past. And she opens up kind of like this sort of unobtrusive looking door in the side of the wall. Like none of you even noticed it was there, opens it up and sweeps you inside, slams the door behind her. And it's a very well appointed little room, uh, not too brightly lit, uh, a very calming atmosphere. There's a little bit of incense burning as well. A pleasant scent, uh, a potpourri-esque sort of bouquet in the air. And she steps over to a table that has several very very, very plush armchairs sitting around it. And there is a decanter of cognac in there. And she starts pouring it into a couple snifters. Uh, well, I guess it should be brandy if they're snifters. Uh, she she pours some brandy and disperses one glass to you, one glass to Maggie Smith. And she just says, being a mother sure is something, isn't it? You are telling me, sister. <laughs> and I proceed to rant about everything that my child has ruined in my life. Starting with the day she was born, ruining my big night, my chance at stardom, and going from there, like including, I mean, 
food stains on the wall from when she would throw her food as a young baby and would refuse to eat it. Do you have any idea what I've paid for in furniture? Having a brontosaurus as a daughter, no furniture's built to hold up. They don't make it like they used to, man. And just all of the things that she has broken in my life and in my heart. Go ahead and roll with Flashy to see kind of what sort of response we're going to get from the other mothers here. That's my plus three approach, so that is a plus five. Ooh, boy. Yeah, both of these mothers are very much on your same level. Judy Dench is like, My son, I don't know where he came from. He doesn't understand propriety. He doesn't understand how to have a single serious moment in his life. I don't know where he came from. He doesn't get it from me. He doesn't get it from his father. And Maggie Smith is all like, my son, I've been trying to get him to be willing to go out and meet some people, but he's just, he doesn't care for any of the, the hubbub. He doesn't care for any of the formality. He's just so reserved, always in there reading his books. I don't understand why our children can't be more like us. Exactly. I understand how you both feel. You know, I think if we all work together... Well, mostly me and uh, Judy Dench. Sorry, Maggie, but uh, your fortune doesn't exactly help me out here. But listen, <laughs> listen. And Maggie Smith, she splashes the brandy in your face, and she says, I'll have you know that my estate, my fortune, is just as fine as that of Colonel Fuzz William. My scooter brings in, uh, I think, also eight, eight million pesos is how much it was? Eight billion eight, pesos? Eight billion pesos. Yes. My scooter brings in no shy amount of money as well. Well, I was unaware. <laughs> <laughs> a true mother of the time. Oh, never mind. Um, so here's what I suggest, man. You both want to marry off your son so badly. I want to marry off my daughter so badly. So your two sons need to, like, have a duel, man. They need to have a duel for... <laughs> Winner of the duel takes her hand in marriage. I think it's brilliant. What do you think? Well, it's an old custom that we haven't drawn upon in quite a while, but we are nothing if not people of custom. That's right. I, I knew you would be. So, the prize is my daughter, and she is what a prize. <laughs> so, let's go down and announce it to everybody, huh? Well, first, I'm going to need to prepare my son for this a little bit. He's not... He looks over at Judy Dench and then leans in close to you. He's not exactly the most violent of sorts. I think I might need to prepare him a little bit for this. You'd better do it fast because uh, I think all good duels need to happen by midnight. <laughs> and we're getting close, man. Yeah, at that exact Is moment. Is the deadline? It's like... Her 21st birthday tonight, and that's why she needs to get married, like, before midnight? Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. She's failed at every ball we've ever been to. What a horrible birthday. <laughs> what a horrible birthday. <laughs> at this exact moment, you hear the clock chime, 11 p.m., and uh, Maggie Smith and Judy Dench both get up from their chairs. They glare daggers at each other for a moment, and then they, like, both try to be the first one out the door and they're like pushing each other to the side trying to get through and uh, they pop out at exactly the same time and go sprinting off in their respective directions trying to find their sons and uh, Janice what are you going to do at this point well that went well <laughs> uh, at this point I don't have much to worry about I don't really think no I, prob I probably should go tell my daughter <laughs> <laughs> But I will stop by the watermelon fondue on the way there. So I, I walk down, I grab some watermelon fondue. Maybe I mix it with the cheese fondue a little bit, just for good measure. And as you turn away from the table to go find your daughter, you like bump right into another person and you see Hugh Grant has returned. He, uh, oh, I'm ter terribly sorry. Oh, and he looks down at the platter that you've got in your hand with the watermelon mixed with the cheese, and you look, and he is also holding a little platter with watermelon fondue mixed with cheese fondue. Well, hey, Sugar Lips, I knew you had good taste, but I didn't know it extended to your snack preferences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Well, I, um, 
I've just been, you know, perusing the dance floor, and I've been wondering uh, if you might be interested in perhaps uh, cutting a rug with me. I don't know what that means, but you're on, man. Oh, it's just one of those sayings from the States. It's a bad saying. All, all of the worst stuff is coming from the States right now. I shouldn't have even mentioned it. I agree. It. That George Washington, he's a piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you sweep him onto the dance floor, I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> and completely forgetting about my daughter and telling her about the situation that's happening here. <laughs> yes. As three mothers go off on their different quests, uh, the one person whose agency is uh, probably the most besmirched in this situation, Miss Cadence, uh, what are you doing at this point? I'm uh, still sniffing out Maggie Smith, and I found a <laughs> secret door that I didn't even know was there, and then it flew in my face, and out she came, and now my sniffer's a bit out of sorts, and I lost sight of her. I have to start from ground zero. So I'm still trying to um, get her to see if I can get, you know, her her John Hancock, because in my little purse, of course, I have her autobiography, and <laughs> it's one of my tops. I start rushing down the hall, rubbing my nose, because that really hurt, because I was bending over, so it was actually at the spot where my nose was. <laughs> It was just unfortunate timing. It's at this moment that I step out into the hallway <laughs> as she's rushing down the hall, and I go, if maybe I could talk to Miss Holly Toledo! <laughs> and I just run him over, and I trip, and we both get all muffled up, and like it's one of those, like you see cloud dust or whatever as we roll together, <laughs> yeah. and we hit into a wall. Holy Toledo! I, I'm I'm sorry. My timing never was good. Are you kidding? That was great comedic timing. Oh, oh really? Uh, 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 oh. <laughs> now look, I think you've got a talent there. I think. Oh, what am I saying? I've never been a successful comedian anyway. Oh. I just think you're pretty great oh. in uh, your timing, of course. Oh, thanks. Um. If, if you think that's great, uh, listen to this. Um, I actually, when my mother told me that you loved comedy, I've been practicing. Tell me what you think. Um, you said I have good comedic timing. So um, here it is. Here is my timing. Oh, good, good. Nothing's better than practicing timing. Yeah. Okay, ready? Um, how do you get a farm girl to marry you? Uh, you give her a chicken. Huh? First, a tractor. <laughs> it, 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 see, it's like a pun where where like farm girls like tractors because you work with tractors and then it's like the word attract her uh maybe i just said it wrong though L let me try again so i've got a confused face the whole time but then after you explain it i go oh <laughs> it's funnier when you explain it oh, oh thanks i i thought so too in in the books i read I don't understand a lot of things until they explain it for five chapters. So I've been working on it. Yeah. Oh, all my books, they explain everything to me as well. Uh, I've got Jokes Unlimited right here. Oh. It's like this encyclopedia of jokes where it <laughs> breaks down line by line, word by word, and even like letter by letter why the joke is funny. Oh, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, I learned to read on this thing because my parents abandoned me in my youth. What? Oh my goodness, like mine too, except he didn't mean to, he just died. Oh. <laughs> you didn't explain. Explain it, so I assume that wasn't a joke. <laughs> oh, oh no, but but I can I can give you another another um an, an, another parent dying. <laughs> no, that would be sad. I only have one left, and and I really have to like make things up to her before that happens. Yeah, good, good. You gotta save your best material to the very end, you know. Oh, how about this one? Um, I, I heard this from somebody who she says she's like more new aged. Um, I'm not an environmentalist, but if you were a tree, I'd be a tree hugger. Again, blank face. Uh, I'm not sure what it means. 
Well, I think it's meant to make the person receiving it feel something for the person giving that joke. All I'm feeling is confusion from that one. So. I, I, I'm sorry. I will practice more. But that's how most of my audiences are every time I perform. So I think you're doing great. Oh, you're you're sure nice. Uh, my name is, well, people call me Missy or Miss Cadence. Oh, yeah. I'm Fuzz. I'm Fuzz William. Nice to meet you as I extend my hand out as I reach up towards your face. <laughs> oh, and she puts her big leg, front leg <laughs> in his hand and goes, oh, Shante, wait, you're supposed to say that. I mean, um, thanks. <laughs> and it's at that moment, uh, Miss Piggy's handkerchief falls from my hand onto the floor. <gasps> Well, oh, where um, did you get that? Oh, it's, uh, it's all part of a uh, disappearing uh, magic act. Um, uh, speaking of no, which, I'll talk no, to you no, later. No. Goodbye. She, ah! she, she grabs the handkerchief as he's like running off and oh, it's no. in his hand and she pulls him back. Don't rip and it. And they're kind of tussling. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just, my mother, she's kind of into singing. And so she signed me up for this like... I'm not sure. It was like a boarding school for people who sing, and my roommate used to have these. Mm. And it looks just like the one she had. Oh. And so I just, I haven't seen her in a long time. And you hear a door open up right next to where you are in the hallway, and a voice says, Oh, that's where my handkerchief went. <gasps> oh. And Miss Piggy turns and looks at both of you, and she sees you, Miss Cadence, and says, Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. Miss Cadence's jaw just drops and she looks like a deer in headlights as she looks at the woman who made sure it was her sole duty to become a social person. And she just kind of gets a little nervous and she goes, Oh, Peggy, it has been a long time. Oh, Cadence, what are you doing out here in this hallway when you could be on the dance floor meeting all kinds of people? Get in there! And she just, like, <laughs> grabs you and starts pulling you by the tail back into the dance floor. And I'm still holding on to the handkerchief, which I assume... Fuzz is holding on to. Yeah. So he's probably being dragged with me. Yeah. Uh, as soon as uh, Miss Piggy comes in, I go, ah. As I get yanked through. She is pulling Miss Cadence along, and as she gets to the entrance to the grand ballroom, she sees you're still both hanging on to the handkerchief, and she does like a Hi! karate chop <laughs> and pulls it out of both of your hands and says, Cadence, dear, go find a beautiful boy to dance with. I need to speak with Colonel Fuzz William for a moment. Uh, 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 of course. Um... You're so indecisive. And she just pushes you through the door. <laughs> and she bumps into her mother and Hugh Grant. <laughs> hey, watch it. Don't you know that there are other people on this dance? Oh, oh, my dear, it's you. Hello. Oh, I have got some news for you. Hi, mother. I'm very, very sorry. Um, please enjoy your dance with this fine fellow. And Hugh Grant, who is blushing from his head to his toes, says, Oh, no, I, I I, could use a little breath of fresh air. I don't want to get in the way of a mother and her daughter. And he uh, starts walking away, kind of like almost tiptoeing on cloud nine as he heads over towards the fondue table. That's right. You go uh, you go visit the pump room. You're a little spindly for my taste. We got to put some meat on your bones. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it turns back to her daughter. Just so you know, I've arranged everything. You, you don't are getting married to him? That's what you've arranged? I mean, he hasn't asked me yet, but I'm sure he will by the time this night's done. Oh. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about because the contract from your father's cousin specifically says you're the one who has to get married, not me. So uh, oh. don't worry. I've got two guys who are going to fight a duel over you, and you are the prize. It's going to be so wonderful. If I'm remembering right, it's Colonel Fuzz William who brings in, you know, 80 billion pesos a year. And it's uh, a guy, Maggie Smith's son named Scooter. He also brings in 80 billion pesos. 
days was a year. Can you believe that? So anyway, uh, they're going to fight a duel over you. You're the prize. It's a win-win situation, really. Um, <laughs> so that's that's how my night's gone, man. How about yours? Mother, do you know um, what happens at the end of a duel? Like, it's not just there's a winner and someone who walks away. The second one doesn't walk away. Why not? Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Either way, we win. Don't you see this, man? It's going to be great. While this conversation is happening, we'll cut back out to the hallway. Uh, Miss Piggy has just shoved Miss Cadence into her mother and turns towards you, Colonel Fuzz Williams. She kind of like glances back at the ballroom, sees some people around and says, Oh, uh, I appear to have lost my uh, my sweet Kermie. If you could come help me find him, I think he might be further off down this abandoned hallway. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. No, I, I love going down this abandoned hallway. There really is nothing down there. I, I go down there just to kind of sigh and think about my uh, my comedy career and uh, no it's great it's wonderful yeah come follow me oh this board is loose you don't want to step there I've almost fallen through into the basement and as you are just rattling on after a while uh, like you you turn a corner and there's no more people she grabs you by the lapels and shoves you up against the wall and says listen Buster I have not stopped thinking about you since I first saw you give your tight five back in the Red Lake District back in the day. But I never knew how to find you, so I've been stringing Kermie along all this time so that I could get my way to you. <laughs> and <I> just... Ah. <laughs> oh, oh, no, this is great then. No, this is great news. As I'm like extending both my arms to her like, oh, did you... You and you, you, uh, wait a minute. Usually when people say they like me, they usually don't mean it. So... <laughs> oh dear, I can, I can see the gears starting to turn in your head. Let's stop that right now. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry at all about the fact that I told one man that I was going to marry him and now I'm leaving him to come to you instead. That's not a red flag at all. Don't think about it, just... And as she's like trying to calm you down, you, in this abandoned hallway, hear two doors open, and out of one, you hear the voice, uh, Miss Piggy, what are you doing back here? And out of the other, you hear, There you are, son, come with me right this moment. <laughs> and from both sides, Kermit and your mother advance towards you. You and Miss Piggy have just a few moments before they're on top of you. Uh, what do you do in this moment? I look both ways. Uh, look at Miss Piggy and go, ha, 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 hold on. And I try to lift her up into the air, uh, dirty dancing style, where like she jumps off the stage and is just like an eagle in flight. And I'm just holding her and I want to try to twirl her around like she's part of an act with me. All right, roll to overcome with flashy. That is not where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> oh, not great. Oh, no. That's a one. Yeah, you, in the in this moment, you're under the pressure. You lift Miss Piggy up and you start spinning her and you maybe uh, sort of miscalculated um, certain aspects of Miss Piggy's physique. You feel your legs <laughs> buckling underneath <laughs> you and you smash to the ground, Miss Piggy on top of you. You land on the floorboard that you <laughs> yes. told Miss Piggy to watch out for <laughs> yes. and down, down into the basement you go. You hear your mother's voice calling off after you, son, get back here right now. You need to fight to the death. <laughs> As uh, I fall, fall, fall into the basement, into the wine cellar. <laughs> Judy Dench looks at Kermit and she narrows her eyes and says, something seems very suspicious about this. And Kermit says, you know, uh, I trust my friend Colonel Fuzz William implicitly, but I do have to agree. Something about this seems maybe a little bit suspicious. And Judy Dench grabs him by the hand and says, to the stairs at once. And they start <laughs> sprinting towards the stairs. Colonel Fuzz William, what are you doing now that you're down in the wine cellar? Well, I can't get up because Miss Picky has fallen on me. Um, so I am just stuck for the time being. I feel like she takes a minute to come out and uh, I'm a bit dazed and I go, ah, Miss Picky, Miss Piggy. She is out cold. 
it's like Gimli with the warg on top of him. <laughs> yeah, right. And just, Ugh. oh, goodness. She weighs more than one of my trunks upstairs. Goodness gracious. Um, I hope she was asleep for that. Um, <laughs> and I'm just going to try and roll her off of me. Yeah, go ahead and roll to overcome with forceful. That is my plus three approach. Ha-ha, that's a five. Yeah, you push Miss Piggy off to the side, and you notice that you're not the only one down here. You look and you see Rizzo is sitting there by, uh, there's a little lantern, and he's got one of the bottles of wine that he's pulled out of the rack and popped it open. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, hey, Colonel Fuzz William. Oh, it's been a bit of a rough night, huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, look, did you bring that? <laughs> and he he looks he looks at the empty space in the rack on the wall and just turns to you and says, "Yep, sure did. Brought it myself." <laughs> oh wow, that is some good stuff. I didn't know you had any money to pay for stuff like that. Uh, no, it's been a little bit rough. I mean. I was uh, pining after my comedy career, and now I'm pining after a girl, and then I ran into another girl who has great comedic timing, and then I was pining because a girl fell on top of me that I was pining for. <laughs> All the while, I've got the wrath of my mother's seethe. Uh, speaking of your mother's seething, uh, you hear footsteps on the stairs, and Rizzo looks at you and says, Oh, that sounds like a, a bad time. I'm going to pop out of here, but I'm just going to let you know, Fuzzy, before I head out, beware how you give your heart. And he just <laughs> grabs the bottle of wine and scampers off into the shadows. And with that, I sort of like just take a moment to reflect. I reach into my pocket. I like pull something out and it's just like a squishy, like stress ball heart. I'm like, huh, be careful who I give my, who I give my heart. Huh? Slam! Door is open. <laughs> Throw the heart. And your mother catches it out of the air and says, Ah, yes, this heart is going to the lovely Miss Cadence. You are going to fight in a duel to the death. Come just, with me. I just want it known I, did, I didn't mean to give you that heart. Uh, oh, okay, Mom. She reaches out. She grabs you by the cravat and starts pulling you up the stairs. And meanwhile, Kermit is down on his knees next to Miss Piggy. He is waving her face with his hand, trying to wake her up. And as you are getting pulled up the stairs, he looks at you with his eyes narrowed suspiciously. I <laughs> so give him a sheepish, like, five-fingered wave, like, bye. Your mother drags you up the stairs, your head in a whirl, in a blur of activity and bluster. And when you finally kind of get back to your senses, you are at the entrance to the dance hall. She's pulling you in towards one side of the door, Coming down the other end of the hallway is Maggie Smith dragging Scooter behind her. He's got a big old mace in his hands and he <laughs> is shaking uncontrollably. Maggie Smith and Judy Dench turn to face each other before looking into the ballroom where Miss Cadence, you see the two men who are going to fight for your hand in marriage. And I think that is where we're going to pick up next time. Bravo. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, what a farce we have constructed here. Wow. It reminds me of one of my favorite moments in the Kira Knightley adaptation I watched is like when they're at the ball and people are just like walking into the frame, looking around, walking out of the frame, mm -hmm. just like crossing paths left and right. Like this big, like a farce in the truest sense. That's a really fun shot. I remember that. It's great. Yeah. Whew, well, everybody, how's this going to resolve? We're just going to have to find <laughs> out next time. In the meantime, thanks for listening to Improv Tabletop, and we'll be back next week with the thrilling conclusion of our adventures in the world of Pride and Prejudice and Puppets. If you want more, go ahead and subscribe. Maybe even give us a review. We would be as happy as a man whose stomach is apparently able to handle a combination of cheese fondue and watermelon fondue. <laughs> we would be just as happy as that Twitter-pated man if you'd go ahead and give us a review on the podcatcher of your choice. We're also all over social media, at Improv Tabletop. So if you'd like to connect with us there, maybe you want to talk with Thomas about uh, his understanding of comedic timing, don't be afraid to reach out. <laughs> Out. I have a lack of it. That's that. That's what it comes down to. I have a lack of understanding of comedic timing. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time to shout out our next batch of Sticker Club patrons. Yeah! <laughs> this week we're shouting out Elena Georgieva, 
Elizabeth McDowell, and the newest member of the Sticker Club, Jim Packard. Hey, hey Jim, you're new! Welcome. Yeah, welcome to the party. Now, these three are the people who are going to be sort of overseeing this duel, making sure that all of the rules are followed just right down to the letter. Uh, got people on side, you know, with water bottles, uh, hot towels, make sure that you're just as at the top of your game as possible. And, you know, maybe they'll have to carry off a body afterwards, but that's just part of the gig. Um, don't worry, they're going to make sure that this duel plays out as smoothly as possible in this upcoming episode. That's all of the Sticker Club patrons we have to shout out this week. And if you, dear listener, want to join their ranks, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash improv tabletop, where you can also get things like Discord access, biannual sticker packs, and more, such as our current ongoing patron-exclusive campaign, Dumbledore's Delinquents. We have seriously, seriously, seriously messed up the timeline in some major <laughs> ways in that campaign. But it marches on. We make it work. So if you want to see how we've messed up the timeline, go check that out. Now, let's do a round of plugs. Thomas, would you like to take that this week? Yes, of course. Hello. We've got plugs for days, everybody. The first and foremost being one I'm not familiar with at all, but I cast Fireball? Mm-hmm. It's a 5e D&D podcast where they're finishing up their first season of Tyranny of Dragons and this epic conclusion where you've got a Cobalt where Ned plays that. You've got a Barbarian Warlock, and then you've got a creepy, clammy rogue Uh, all fighting for good. So clammy. It's a joyous time. You'll have to see if a demon from the underworld gets summoned in the epic conclusion of Tyranny of Dragons over there. (laughs) Go check it out. This is news to me, but yeah. (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) Uh, We also have all of our Fate Accelerated campaigns, which you already know of. Dumbledore's Delinquents, a bonus campaign for our patrons only. We have our patron-exclusive Discord channel as well. Improv Tables has got so much. We've got got all the things for you over here, including um, Blades and Dalfay, our Avatar Legends, role-playing games. We've got campaigns for pretty much everybody here. And lastly, I would like to plug just period dramas. Some of them are a little trashy, but (laughs) most of them, they're quite good. And you should go check them out because... It's fun to see what people imagine people back in the day used to live like. And um, you too can pretend to be haughty with all of your friends as well. So yeah, go check it out. Go have fun and uh, come join us next week for the epic conclusion of this campaign. The epic conclusion. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us here in the world of Pride and Prejudice and Puppets. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM, and I've been joined by... Caleb Anderton. Heather. And Tamis. Much love and stuff, everybody. We'll catch you next time on Improv Tabletop. I'm just I'm just realizing it was always so normal to me, probably because I grew up on it, but how absurd and wild it is that there are two different types of Muppets, really, of like the smaller Muppets, the meaty Muppets, and then I guess the third option being just monstrous Muppets. Yes. And just all of the humans are totally cool with all three categories and just are like, oh, it's just another just another individual to interact with. I just this is just now dawning on me how like Big Bird is actually not normal with his freakish size. So yeah. <laughs> you're talking about the brontosaurus. Just brought that all to the <laughs> forefront of my brain. I wonder how many controllers he needed. Yeah, Rupert is definitely the kind of Muppet that I'm pretty sure that like Snuffy was just two straight up people moving around this big old puppet from inside. I mean, Rupert, that's got to be, I don't know, half a dozen operators. Yeah. And as you see half a dozen people carrying the casket, lowering it down into the cold ground. The the cast members who've lost their job. (laughs) Oh boy, this took a dark turn.